0: This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Nally. Our guest this week is Ted McKinney, USDA Undersecretary of Agriculture for Trade and Foreign Agriculture Affairs. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Syngenta. Syngenta products and services helping farmers increase their return on investment. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Undersecretary Ted McKinney, next. Commodity prices remain under pressure. That's why now, more than ever, farmers are focused on their return on investment. More and more, farmers depend on Syngenta products and services designed to increase their ROI. See the Syngenta seed innovations made for better ROI. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. Never have trade battles raged on so many fronts that have so much potential to impact the bottom line of U.S. farmers and ranchers. In the last week, President Trump is quoted saying talks are going very well and also saying he's willing to keep tariffs on Chinese goods for a long time. USDA Undersecretary of Agriculture for Trade and Foreign Agriculture Affairs Ted McKinney is an optimist. He believes the two sides will come together.
1: I say that the trend line is up. There's days that it takes a, a, a more marked step up and there's days that it goes flat. But the trend line, I believe, is up. Uh, on a path for us potentially getting a deal. Now I, 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 I stop right now and give a huge caveat that the US and my predecessors have been here before and come away disappointed. Uh, China just is a different uh, 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 character and follows different rules. But I, I, I believe the trend line will continue. I, I, I believe in and I'm so hopeful that we'll get to that deal because discussions continue on. I don't think anybody's looking at this as wasted time. What's new and different is that there's an enforcement chapter, which is clearly what's required to prove that that a commitment is going to be followed up on. Uh, I'm less familiar with the non-ag stuff, which would be the services, so think of financial transactions, uh, enforcement, intellectual property, we gotta, we kinda get to do all that on our own. But I do believe and I'm hopeful that we'll get there and I hope it's sooner than later, Jeff.
0: The President has even suggested within the last couple of days another three or four weeks and we'll know. How often are the
1: two sides discussing if not face-to-face electronically? Oh, it's been consistent for some time. You might remember that in mid-2018 we in agriculture and the energy sector got a a first cut at it when we went over to Beijing and then uh, it was a few months off but then about uh, a month ago we started by us going over there, actually started in January where there was an exchange and then a month or so ago uh, the U.S. went to Beijing, the next week they were back, they extended their stay into the weekend, that was a very productive uh, weekend. Uh, And since then, there have been a number of digital video conferences, or DVCs, at different levels. Certainly in ag, we have done so. So it has not stopped. It just took on a different form. And I think largely that was because we'd already come to know each other. We, We sort of had a framework. We had a general idea where each needed to go. Some press reports had suggested
0: the Chinese especially wanted to have nearly all the I's dotted and T's crossed before the two presidents meet does it have to be complete before there's a summit?
1: Well, the pundits would say it's always good to have it locked down and loaded, so to speak, so that all is required is a signature rather than than the two presidents meeting. Uh, If it comes to that, it comes to that. And there are things that we have been elevating. But I think the hope by all of us is that those who know these topics the best can come to a conclusion. But the honest answer is, I don't know, we'll have to see. I'd be fully satisfied if we could lock it down at at the level of those of us that know all the nuances to these many, many issues. Again, you suggested that talk is cheap.
0: But we've also seen some action by the legislature in China. How do we
1: measure that? Well, I I think the best thing, and what I counsel folks, is let's take it a day at a time, a week at a time, and a month at a time. Uh, Ronald Reagan said it very well when he said trust but verify and that's why the enforcement clause is very important, however it comes out, because that will be the way that uh, you, you put teeth into an agreement that you sign. But I also think this is different because while the tariffs have been hurting our farmers, I know that. They are painful. Nobody likes them. I think even the President in many cases doesn't like them it has brought leverage Jeff it's brought leverage and there's also hurt going on in China so if both sides really want to get out of this and the only way to get out of it is to sign a deal that has enforcement and you then have the chance to prove what you have said in agreement well, I'm sure willing for the next visit till we get to closure, and then let's see where it goes. With regard to the Chinese economy, we've seen some slowing down
0: in certain areas of concern. Does the pain they've suffered and the pain
1: that we've suffered, is, does it lead to an urgency toward a conclusion? I believe there is some urgency on both sides. Certainly, we know it. We hear it. I mean, I've had every commodity group known to man and woman alike through my office. And glad to have had them because I want to hear exactly where the hurt is. What's the timing? How do we get out of this? How can they help? All that. And I think in a large part, the same is uh, true in China. It's a different system. You know, grassroots kind of lobbying is just uh, a, almost non-existent. But certainly um, we've heard the Chinese leadership say operational stability is one of the three themes that they are following uh, time and time again. It's one of the themes, not just in this, but pan their entire economy. Well, getting free, fair and reciprocal trade, I think long term is far better for them than trying to play some of these games and do these nefarious actions that have caused angst not just amongst the U.S., but so many countries around the world. So I believe there is a willingness on both sides to come together with an agreement. Should we read anything
0: into the fact that they promised to buy another 10 million metric tons of soy and only thus far have purchased a small fraction of that last promise?
1: Yeah. So they didn't say the timing. No. Now, if they'd have said timing and we'd passed the date, I'd be more concerned. I, I think it's going to happen. It's just more on their timeline. Uh, I don't I don't think their intent was for this to be months down the road. So I'm willing to give them a few more days and weeks. But they did buy the first 10. I think last week we saw some uh, very strong growth in pork sales to them, uh, partly because of the need, partly because of African swine fever. So I have not seen anything to deter my commitment and what I believe is modest enthusiasm to try to get this to closure and then have a a more grand deal. From the Department of Agriculture's
0: perspective, do we have any confidence in measuring the depth of African swine fever and how much that swine herd has been challenged?
1: I don't think we'll ever know with certainty. China is just an enormous country and unlike swine here, where it's much more modern and you can almost count the barns, and in some cases, state, uh, uh, um, EPA or federal EPA requirements require knowledge where those barns are. That does not exist. I mean, they've got backyard farms with three to ten pigs, and they have the most modern barns, you know, five miles away. So you'll never know. But I can say with great certainty, it is much repeat much worse than we're seeing through the official channels and we know this because you know people volunteer information uh, to us that are on the ground in all these provinces and i think we're seeing china be a little more transparent about the magnitude of the problem nothing like we're hearing but uh, it's it's pretty bad
0: from both sides of the Capitol and both sides of the aisle and even the White House, not a lot of consensus. But if there has been a consensus, it's been that, yes, we will have agriculture on the table when we talk with Europe. And the Europe (laughs) seemed to be pretty consistent that,
1: no, we won't. Well, I wish I had been in the room when the agreement was made about more soy being sold there. I've had... Everybody on the U.S. side indicate no way it was fully intended, and the discussion was even had, that it would be more comprehensive. And I've had others say the letter of the agreement says soybeans. It doesn't matter. I think Europe has fully understood that they're not going to get a deal. They're not going to get the first step toward a deal if agriculture is not included. So, we're going through that time period where they're digesting this and coming to realization that ag will be included or there's not a deal. We might as soon find the Powerball number of guessing than we would find (laughs) the situation
0: with the UK and with Brexit. But how is that conflict, how does that reflect back here in the US and opportunities that may or may not come?
1: Yes. Well, if Brexit should happen, and particularly if it's the so-called hard Brexit, where they exit without a common uh, ag policy or a, a customs union where they keep a relationship, a formal relationship of some sort. If that happens, I think they will need and want to look west to their best friends in the world, the U.S., uh, for assistance and trade and all the things that go with free fare and reciprocal trade. But I also understand why that's difficult for them. I mean, 75 85% of their trade goes right across the English Channel. So you would not want to walk away from that readily. I tell you, I have to swallow my pride and even most days my anger when I say that we must engage. Now, no, we're not going to just walk straight pell-mell into their system. We've heard too many of their agricultural types say, one of the reasons they wanted to Brexit is to get out from the choking and I would say ridiculous regulations that Europe has imposed. Well, let's see if that's true or not. But I for one have always believed that it's better to sit down, get to know someone, find the areas of common ground, including agriculture, and see where it goes. Better to have tried and failed than to have not tried at
0: all. From your position at the Department of Agriculture, what is the feedback with regard to the 232 tariffs still on steel and aluminum against Canada and Mexico, and the acceptance by both parties of a USMCA deal without further renegotiation?
1: Mm. Well, the view, at least in the world of agriculture, that's my world, is quite uniform. Uh, agriculture in uh, Mexico, agriculture in Canada, and agriculture here wants those 232 tariffs gone, period. And I think that is the goal of the administration. It's just that they're still trying to bring steel and aluminum industry back to uh, getting their sea legs and have some financial standing after being driven in part out of business by an onslaught of very, very cheap steel, mostly by China. So I think those 232 tariffs will uh, come off, and they can't come off fast enough as far as aggies across all three countries are concerned. It's
0: speculation to ask, but I'll ask because you're closer to the fire than those of us who are listening. Do you believe that Mexico and Canada would accept some sort of a quota system that would allow the president to protect the metals industry, but at the same time remove the tariffs?
1: Well, I haven't been in those discussions. Now, when I was just down in uh, Mexico two weeks ago, uh, they said no, they, are, they don't want and they're not going to take uh, quotas. Uh, but, hey, I don't know how far along the discussions are. I don't know what kind of an offer, whether it was, uh, was not lucrative enough. I just don't know what was offered, uh, nor will I. Uh, but I do believe somehow, some way, the three countries are co- going to come to an agreement because we have to. We're all too important to each other. And yes, it's been a, a time of strife this last year. But you know what? In our own families, sometimes we have a friendly fight with a brother. I don't think I ever had one with my sister, but certainly my brothers and I did. And uh, we just have to work back. But I think USMCA has been a very good deal if we can get it passed. Mm-hmm. I think agriculture across all three countries will have benefited from this. may not feel like that at the time, but I think we will benefit. We've got a new chapter on biotechnology, a new rewritten chapter on sanitary, phytosanitary chapter. We've penetrated the dairy industry of Canada and tried to bring, make, break it more transparent and free and fair because it has not been. So I think all those things are going to make all three countries stronger. And then it's just a matter of our congressional delegations in each country seeing it forward. And I I do believe that will happen. At the
0: time of our conversation, there are discussions going on between the U.S. and Brazil. From a 30,000-foot level, what's to be resolved there that would either assist the U.S. or challenge the U.S.? And the same for our neighbors to the south.
1: Sure. Well, I suppose suppose I've learned that every country has some sort of a grievance or a grudge about said other country. In our case, I think our list is longer and more serious and more evident, so I'll start there, you asked. Um, uh, Greg Dowd, our USTR lead ag negotiator and I went down together and we deliberately wanted to go together to, to, to make a statement that both of us, with responsibility for trade, were very serious about things and, uh, and I think the, the, the news media has reported some of the topics we covered. The ethanol tariff, the wheat TRQ, which is now 20 years old, uh, pork and some other things. And they had some things for us. And I think it's terrific that their president uh, has come to Washington to have a visit with Mr. Trump. I think that's a great thing. And I think it's great that we've been very candid with each other. I must say I like the things I'm hearing out of this Brazilian government. I think they've recognized that uh, some level of free fair and reciprocal trade is a good thing, and they may have to swallow hard. gosh, I hope we don't have to swallow hard. I think we've already been doing that. but whatever it takes, we've got to get to the point that the largest the second largest economy in uh, in uh, the Americas, Uh, needs to be a good trading partner where there's higher trust than there is today. You have a long
0: history of service to agriculture and truly understand the nature of U.S. agriculture being involved. But has there ever been a time when so many challenges on so many fronts with regard to trade, a very, in the words of Senator Roberts, difficult patch? Do the commodity groups, do you feel their urgency to try to bring these things to a conclusion?
1: Oh, yes. If the question is, do we feel the urgency? And, and I, I don't want to be too cute about this, but do I feel their pain? The answer is yes. Um, you know, I have a rolling screen in my office uh, of farmers and farm families and ranch families as a way of reminding all of us, hey, this is who we work for. I have a dozen or two farmers that I call periodically coming into work or going home to just test what are people saying. And, of course, the commodity groups uh, are, are outstanding, and we're always going to know and do know where they are. So, no, 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 we know full well, and we vector that in. We make sure that Secretary Perdue knows that, and we'll find ways to get that in to many, many other people, including the Oval Office. And we want to make sure they know how they're feeling. Uh, so, so yes, we feel their pain. Uh, I would say, though I'm a more modest historian in terms of ag history. My pastime is World War II history, so forgive me. I need to broaden my sights, don't I? Um, I would say I don't know of a rougher patch than this. Um, For different reasons, some would say the early 80s was in that mix. The Depression certainly had to be worse for different reasons, but in terms of numbers of trade disputes that are alive and have both downside and upside, I would say I don't remember any. But I will tell you, and every one, I think we are making progress. I think when you and I sit down in a year from now, I believe we will have USMCA settled, and I believe we will have a Japan agreement. I believe we will have an agreement with China. And those three alone are huge, just simply huge. And that gives you an opportunity to get on to others I mean, there's a lot of countries we don't have a free trade agreement with that we should have and that would benefit both countries. I mean, I remind people, if I'm not talking about trade as a bona fide two-way street, I'm not doing my job. So I think we have an opportunity to lift the entire world up if they just understood that, uh, you know, free, fair, and trade is free, fair, and trade and benefits both.
0: One last question. With regard to a bilateral deal with Japan, is there some low-hanging fruit that you might make some immediate
1: progress and then expand to a broader deal, or will it be all or nothing? Well, I think so, but I'm going to answer it in a way that may not be what you expect. The low-hanging fruit, I think, is language that already exists. The Aggies kind of liked the ag language in TPP. I don't think our president just disregarded TPP in its entirety. I think it was more other issues so the ag language there is a decent place to start. The USMCA language is outstanding. I mean, uh the biotech language, the SPS chapter rewrite. If we need to, we can go to the Korea or the Korus Free Trade Agreement. So I think if you call that low-hanging fruit, I think that is a pretty good start. Is it as simple as a cut and paste? No. But it's a pretty doggone good place to start, in my view. You've been very
0: generous with your time with AgriPulse, and then allowing us time uh, to be a part of Open Mic this week. You know it's Open Mic, and you know you have the last word. Take us home.
1: Well, the first thing I'd have to say is an enormous thank you to our farmers, ranchers, and the ag industry as a whole. I meant what I said—that we know their pain. We have talked to them. We understand that, and and most of them are saying, "Look, I'm willing to give up—you know, a, a few cents a bushel or pounds." If it gets this right for me in a few years or my kids and grandkids is what most of them say. And so I'm grateful that they've given this president and by extension me and my buddy Greg Dowd an opportunity to get this right. And I think we are making progress. The next thing I'll always say, and I think I've said it with you, is we've got to continue to diversify our portfolio. That does not mean walk away or even diminish our focus on countries that we've been in. China, I hope we sell more. Japan, Canada, Mexico. But it also means we have got to get to other countries where there might be new business that we just haven't quite realized. And that's, what, that's why this position was created. That's what I'm about. That's why we're 340,000 miles or there or so deep into the uh, air travel business to see if we can open those up.
0: Our thanks to Ted McKinney, USDA Undersecretary of Agriculture for Trade and Foreign Agriculture Affairs. Our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Syngenta. Syngenta Products and Services, helping farmers increase their return on investment.
1: For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Nelly.